I want to welcome all of you again in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're grateful for those of you that uh, have come in. We are delighted that God in his grace and his mercy is gathered with us in this place. We have just sung it. Sweet and awful. Awful in the sense of awesome. <clears throat> in a day where we say... Your shoes are awesome, or the hamburger was awesome. <clears throat> we sometimes miss the glory of that word for God. But our God truly is glorious, majestic, awesome in the very best sense of that word. And I'm glad you are here to worship him. Thankful we have many people out today that are sick. I've had... Um, a number of uh, text emails letting me know there are sick ones. May God have mercy and heal all our precious sick brethren. I know that many are uh, traveling. Um, the uh, Maxim family is traveling to Alabama to worship with brethren and friends there today. And uh, we are, we're blessed. Alabama gave us something back. We have... Pastor Brandon Scroggins with us this morning and his sons and the rest of his family. I see them. I didn't see the ladies earlier. Good to have you all here. Uh, we're delighted to have Brother Brandon and his wife Christy and the children with us today. And uh, for any others, good to have the sights back. Haven't seen you all in a while. So glad. I think you were here once when I wasn't. Yeah, wonderful to have you back, our <clears throat> friends from Louisiana. I don't know what the connection between Florida and Louisiana is other than the Gulf, but uh, there seems to be a big uh, connection here. I run into Louisiana people all the time here in, in Pensacola. Well, brethren, we, we are gathered in the name of Christ Jesus to magnify him today. As usual, if, if your little ones need to be quieted, and sometimes they just do. And uh, when you're in that situation, please don't hesitate to take them right back there. You can quiet them down. Please rejoin us uh, when they uh, do quiet down. We have a nursing mother's room. I don't know if we've got nursing mother's. Well, we do have a nursing mother's room. You can ask anyone in that room back there where it is, and they will guide you to it. If you have a cell phone, would you please check that now and make sure that it's on mute. That being said, let me say on behalf of uh, those of you that are visiting with us today, that we're not only thrilled to have you with us, uh, but uh, we are just beginning uh, a new series of sermons on the epistle to the Hebrews. We've done a few introductory sermons covering some of the primary doctrinal uh, delights and treasures that fill this book and uh, we have begun our exposition 
with just one word. We have read together, and I trust throughout the week you've read it, dear brethren, verses 1 through 4, which begins with that one, one most important word, God. God. That word doesn't make much of an impression on many of us anymore. I know I grew up hearing it, and until the Lord had mercy on me and opened my heart, it was a word on a page and a big something out there, but that was it. And I hope that the word of God has taught us far more and that we've begun to see and appreciate the glory of who our God is. And uh, I'm sure all of you that have heard these messages uh, can imagine that this subject could stretch on for quite a while. It's God. He's infinite. <clears throat> So, uh, we're going to begin reading the first four verses again. If you would please stand one more time with me. Since we have begun reading this passage together, I trust to finish the message on God today, but we will we'll keep that practice up uh, for this morning, and we will read all four verses together aloud. Now, here's the thought. I've said it previously, but here's the thought I want you to consider as we read. This is your God. This is the object of your worship. So let us hear him according to his great kindness and spirit. All right, Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Amen. Amen. May God add the blessing, his wonderful blessing, to his word. Let's remain standing as we cry out to him once again. Father, I thank thee. I bless thy holy name. And I pray, O God, that thy presence around the world, as thy people have met, has been felt. Father, I pray that our prayers would go up as thy spirit comes down and fills our soul with that fire from heaven. Oh God, we need thy spirit. In our day, Father, we are watching our nation die a terrible, slow, and pitiful death. I pray with all of my heart 
that thou wouldst breathe life into every true church in this country and on the face of this globe. Oh God, bring down the wicked powers and raise up righteousness. Father, thy kingdom is moving forward today regardless of what wicked men are doing. And I pray, O oh Father, that in the face of the unspeakable and ungodly perversion, hatred and rebellion toward thee and thy purposes, that thy people would live in holiness, calling out to thee, encouraging, exhorting one another while it is still today, that we might live holy lives, that we might saturate our souls with thy word, that we might be filled with the mighty power that fell on Pentecost and that we would live as thy people in this dark nation, shining forth the glory and the beauty of Christ. And we ask it all that Christ would be exalted. Now, bless thy people, fill them, bless thine inheritance, save thy people, feed them also and lift them up forever. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> the first word of our text is God. To Him be all the glory as we consider Him again. In part five of this message, we learned that the one true and living God reveals Himself in the Bible as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We may put it this way. The one true living God is triune. By that we mean that God is three subsistences or persons and one essence. And that essence is spirit. We then considered that number one, the Bible is the unified story of God's self-revelation. He's doing that in the passage we have just read. God, His Son, are revealed to us here. This is God's living Word. It was breathed by the Spirit, and we are enlightened by the Spirit so that we can understand what God is saying to us. Amen. And it begins with God. This is the object of our worship. This Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God's self Revelation. <clears throat> it is his self-revelation within the universe he created about who he is, about the salvation of sinners that he purposed in Christ Jesus, his son, and about the eternal kingdom that he established by his son. Number two, the Bible does not explain God. You ever thought about that? I know some of you did after the sermon last week. The Bible does not explain God. It reveals God. It sets him before us. 
and how we praise Him for doing so. The finest of preachers and teachers and theologians may attempt to explain God's self-revelation in Scripture, but such attempts cannot capture the infinitely glorious reality. Number three, the Bible reveals God's triunity as a mystery. The Bible does not use the word mystery to mean something that is difficult or impossible to understand. Rather, as we learned last week, the biblical writers meant something that was hidden but is now revealed. Something that was hidden but is now revealed. The Trinity was hidden and hinted at in the Old Testament scriptures, but it is revealed in the New Testament by two extraordinary events. Number one, when God sent his son into the world and his incarnation. And number two, when God sent the Holy Spirit into the world on the day of Pentecost. Both the Son and the Spirit are worshipped and called God. And from those startling revelations, the debates about the Trinity arose. As I said last time, the biblical revelation of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost should lead us to worship and obedience. It's not the doctrine of God. And God is a word that can be defined. And therefore, we've got that next. No, this is the, the, the absolute sovereign of all things. The holy, the righteous, the incomprehensible God. Now, the title of this sermon is God, part six. May God, our heavenly Father, may the Lord Jesus Christ, begotten of the Father, and may the Holy Spirit, proceeding from the Father and the Son, fill us with a sense of his presence. We need a good filling. Do you believe that? I certainly do. May we have a sense of his presence, of his power, and his glory. If you just go away with a few more Bible facts and no transformation, we've spent our time in vain. We want to know our God, worship our God, love our God, And obey our God. Well. May he fill his temple today. Today. So we left off last time. Under the heading. The one true God. Is triune. The one. True God. Is. Triune. Very brief. Review. We left off considering that God is three subsistences or persons and one 
essence, spirit. Our confession says in chapter 2, paragraph 3, in this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word or Son, and Holy Spirit of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. And I remind you, the reason that language is there is because if you divide the essence, we have three gods. And that is contradictory to the clear teaching of Scripture that there is only one God. The Father is of none, of none. In other words, he had no creator. <clears throat> he has always been self-existent. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite, without beginning. Therefore, but one God who is not to be divided in nature or being, but distinguished by several peculiar. Now, the, the idea of peculiar here is not strange as we would use it today. The idea of peculiar is a special way. God, God has done something in a special way is the idea. He's distinguished by sev several peculiar or special relative properties. In other words, how, if it's one God and one essence, all shared by three subsistences or three persons, uh, how do we tell them apart? And that's very simple. They have revealed themselves with the titles, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Father. And we can go through that whole thing. And each have various things applied to them, as we will see as we go through uh, the rest of our message here today. The Father, as we will see, purposed salvation. The Son accomplished salvation. And the Spirit applies salvation. The Father wasn't poured out on the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> the Spirit didn't die on the cross at Calvary. So we are subject to the revelation God has given us. And it's, it, our minds can't comprehend it. But it is what our God is. And it is what our God has revealed. This is revelation. God is telling you something that you and I would never know. We would never figure out if he had not revealed at least as much as he had. And with what he has revealed, our little minds shrink enormously when we begin to try to think about the extraordinary words applied to God. So, the Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. 
the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite without beginning, therefore but one God who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations, Father, Son, for instance, which doctrine of the Trinity, now listen carefully, this is what we're building up to, Which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God? All your communion with what you call God is rooted in this revelation of this God. If you don't know that revelation, to that extent, you don't know God. It's the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him. When David sinned with Bathsheba, he said, have mercy upon me, O God. Do you ever stop and ask yourself, how did he know that God was merciful? Why did he think he could come to God with that sin? Because God has revealed himself from the earliest portions of Scripture into, from Genesis into Exodus, God shows mercy. What was David's comfort in this enormous sin? He knew enough about God to say, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. He knew that God was filled with tender mercies. Now, when you are facing the uncomfortable, do you know your God well enough to know what to lay upon his shoulders? He can carry it all. He can carry it all. Now, my brethren, your whole comfort in the Christian life is knowing this God. People have told me for years, oh, yes, I believe in the sovereignty of God. And as soon as an urgent calamity falls into their lives, they come apart. Why did God do this? Apparently, you're not reading the scripture. You're not knowing who this God is. It pleases him to send calamity in the life of his children. Why? Why? To humble them and to make them more like Christ and to get them off of their self-worship and to get them looking directly to him. And that's his love. Your hope and your comfort is going to be in the God who sent that. It came from his loving hand. Or you should just say, I don't believe the Bible and find another religion. This God is God. And our minds cannot grasp that. Now, first, let me remind you, after having read that paragraph, we went through it for the most part last week, and I don't want to spend much time on it. I just do want want to remind you this, this language. This is new for some of us, which is God is three subsistences. Three subsistences. When we read that, it does sound like a dick. It sounds like a dictionary 
dry, dusty theological definition. <clears throat> but the fourth and fifth centuries were when the doctrine of the Trinity was, if I can say it this way, finalized by the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a struggle for hundreds of years how to understand this language in the Bible. One God, three persons. And every single word of this paragraph was argued over, fought over. It's, it's quite remarkable. Is God persons? If he's different from us, when we think of persons, as I said last week, we think of people. But God says, oh, one of your problems is you think I'm altogether like you. He is not. They're, we are like him. It's just, this is a great word, by the way, obfuscated. If you haven't used that word lately, you can look it up. Obfuscated, what? It's, it's, all, it's been all confused and mixed up. It's been made unintelligible by our sin. By our sin. We all have filters, sinful fil filters, as well as good ones. That's why we need to have more of the biblical filters in our thinking. So God, when we say God is three subsistences, that just doesn't sound very human. And the eternal God is not human. Jesus became human to save us from our sins. But the eternal God is Spirit manifested in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we've already talked about some of the false ideas about that that have cropped up over the years. Again, I press through this brief review of some of the important language that's here for us. Also, the distinction between persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who God is, and essence, Spirit, what God is, is essential. We have to be clear about that. One essential God with one essence, three persons, but not three people. <clears throat> now, to confuse these is to confuse our understanding of God and therefore, to corrupt our worship. Why has he revealed himself to us? He wants us to know him. He wants us. He created mankind to worship him. Why Satan is spending all of his time even trying to convince God's son to worship him. Right? I'll give you all this, said Satan. See all these great, powerful, wealthy cities? I run them. He says, I'll give them all to you if you'll just bow the knee to me. Satan wants God's worship. Now, <clears throat> we considered Mark Jones's definition helpful. Quote, in the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But God is one. And this one God 
is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We must hold to the unity of the divine essence as well as to the distinction of persons. One essence, three persons. This is how God has revealed himself. This isn't trying to make it difficult. It's an infinite God with sinful, finite creatures attempting to understand him. That said, we considered the order of the Godhead set before us in the paragraph. As I mentioned earlier, and one more time, the Father is neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is begotten, but not proceeding. And the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. All of that comes from scriptures. Why then do we believe this difficult doctrine, this extraordinary mystery called the Trinity? Because it is the revelation of God in the word of God. That's it. This is your God. Do you worship this God? Or is God simply a word that you have that kind of flits around in your mind once in a while? And there's nothing really concrete in your thinking about that God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is our God. One essence. Three persons. Well, then we want to go on. Now we take up the scripture testimony. The scriptures testify to one God and three subsistences. And we do not have time. This is a mammoth study. I'm going to be running very fast here. If you want the notes later on, I'll be glad to give them to you. But I'm going to be moving quickly. We cannot be exhaustive about this immense subject. God is revealed from Genesis to Revelation. And over and again, we see astounding, astounding, immense things about God. We're only going to consider a very few portions of Scripture here. So we must begin with the, the one undeniable fact. Whoever reads the Bible knows that the Bible says this. Deuteronomy 6.4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. Now, the God who is the one Lord reveals himself throughout the Old Testament scriptures from the mouths of the prophets. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. Isaiah 44, 6. <clears throat> Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me. Look unto God. Look unto me and be ye saved. 
all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. That's repeated throughout the Old Testament in various places. So we know that the Bible teaches and we can say without any argument, there's one God. That never changes. As Paul even said to the Corinthians, which I gave a couple of weeks ago, God says, for us, there's one God. So the infallible word then teaches that in this one God, there is someone called the Father. He's God and he's worshipped as God. John 17, verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. There is the way to everlasting life, to know this God and to know him by faith in Jesus Christ alone. So he is the one true God. <clears throat> Romans 15, 6, that ye may be, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Aren't you glad that verse is in the Bible? If you're missing comfort, you need to get to God. If you're missing comfort, get to God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Old Testament. This is New Testament. <clears throat> that the Father is God. Likewise, too, the Son is God and worshipped as God. John 1, 1. A very famous uh, verse when it comes to New Testament Christology. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then a little further down the chapter we read, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now that's the incarnation. So the Word is Jesus. He was with God, and He is God. About that time, or about this time, some of you should be thinking, this is hard to understand. Good. It's good. A God you can understand is not to be worshipped. A God that you can understand then is enough like you that you would just be participating whether you realize it or not in self-worship. You've got to know this God. You say, well, that, that seems so far away. That seems so big. That seems so confusing. Yes, keep going. Keep going. Well, this talk about infinite and eternal I can't get it keep going because sooner or later you get to the place where you realize oh that God so loved me that he sent his son to become a human being so I could really understand something about God 
If you have seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. Oh, that's why Jesus is so important. He is the human connection to God. I may say it that way. Well, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, Paul said to the Ephesian elders, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Wait a minute. If we read the Bible carefully, we find out that spirit doesn't have blood. So Jesus Christ is being referred to as God here. And there are many other places like this. Do you know this God? I'm not asking if you just know about him. I mean, do you know him? Oh, he's the most glorious person you'll ever know. Do you know him? Romans 9, 5. Whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. And that moves Paul so much, he writes, Amen. It's almost like he doesn't have anybody that will amen him while he's writing this. So he amens himself. Amen. May it ever be. Jesus is God. Paul could say amen because he met him on the road to Damascus. Glory. And when he thought of Paul, I mean, when when Paul thought of Christ, when he thought about his deity, he didn't balk as a good Jew. He knew that Jesus was God and somehow it didn't contradict the fact that there's just one God. It's the same with all the apostles. You don't find them writing one word going, I don't know about this stuff we're saying about the Holy Spirit and Jesus. The implications are all that somehow or another this is all God. But we know there's only one God. That's right. One God. One essence, three persons. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Finally, number three. The Holy Spirit is God. He's God. We will just briefly take up Acts 5, verses 3 and 4. Peter said to Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Now, first, before we go any further, you cannot lie to a power. Anybody here ever tried to lie to electricity? Sit in your room, look at the bulb. I'm, I'm going to lie to the electricity, that power that's coursing through that bulb. Well, you can't, obviously. You can only lie to what? A person. You can't lie to a brick. Right? (laughs) I mean, so the very least that could be said about the Holy Spirit, the very least, the Jehovah's Witnesses say, by the way, the the Jehovah's Witnesses are, are among the heretics that go all the way back to the second, third, and fourth centuries that say that God, the Father, is the only God, that the, that the Son is not deity, 
<clears throat> they have taught for many years. I don't know if they still do, but they taught that he was the archangel Michael. <clears throat> right. So when, yeah, and, and that the Holy Ghost is not a, a person, it's a power. A power. So when you say, you know, uh, in the name of the, when you're baptizing someone, you say in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, what you're saying is, I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father and of an angel and of a power. Amen. Does that work? No, it doesn't. It's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. It's a denial of the revelation of God. So, so first of all, it's clear that the Holy Spirit is a person. You cannot lie to something that is not a person. Then you see this. You lied. Uh, Peter goes on to say, you have not lied unto men, but unto God. In lying to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God. That's a sober thing. Well, let's press on. Within the nature of the one God, there are three eternal persons. The New Covenant Scriptures plainly set forth Trinitarian truth before us. At Jesus' baptism, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, consider Paul's letter, or consider Jesus' baptismal commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It is quite obvious in what's being said that there are all deity lined up. It is within the nature of the one God. There are three subsistences. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that's how we are to baptize people. How strange to think we would baptize someone in the name of a power. I baptize you in the name of the wind. Of course, I'm sure there's someone out there that thinks that way. But it's not biblical. Now consider Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Listen carefully. This is Ephesians 2, verse 18. He says, For through him... Now, him there is Jesus. Through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. There's the Trinity. Prayer is wrapped up in the Trinity. How is it that God, the the infinitely holy God, would listen to still sinful people like us? It isn't because, oh, well, he likes us or he loves us. Now, he does love us. But he hears us because we have an intercessor named Jesus Christ. We have a high priest that's sitting in his right hand. Our prayers go up through that glorious advocate, and they're made beautiful to the Father's ears. Our stumbling prayers go into the presence of glory because of Christ. And it's through the Holy Spirit. It's all Trinitarian. 
the more you begin to think about this and read the scriptures, you'll see this popping up all through the New Testament writings. You'll see it hinted at in several places in the Old Testament. But the revelation of the Trinity comes to its full light in the glory of the coming of Christ and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Once again, it's about prayer. What do we need for prayer? The Holy Spirit. The Father grants it. It is Jesus himself is the one that's talking. And he's saying the Holy Spirit. God gives the Spirit to them that ask. Brethren, are you asking? Ask. Ask regularly. Ask. Seek. Knock. Oh God, fill your temple with your power. We need the Spirit in this day. God's people have been backing down for decades. That's exactly why you see what's going on out there. That's right. Well, Jesus said to his disciples, but the comforter, praise the Lord, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Trinitarian, to the core. Peter's introduction to his first letter, he speaks of the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's not only prayer, but it's your very salvation that is wrapped up in the Trinity. You aren't saved by anything but the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a glorious work of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul's great benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the love of God. And the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. And he's telling them goodbye. He's blessing them in the persons of the Trinity. Do you know this, God? I'm not trying to make anybody uncomfortable. I'm trying to urge you to make sure you know this God. This is the one that saves. This is the one that saves. This is the one that hears you when you pray in the name of his son, by the power of his spirit, according to the word. I want you to know this God. I want you to fellowship with this God. I want your life to be filled from beginning to end with this God. Well, the list could go on for quite some time. But this should give us at least a blessed taste of the Bible's pure and holy revelation of our God. This is your God. This is your God. This is the one you should live, breathe, think for all day, every day. Because he's God. Because he's glorious, because he's holy, because he's merciful, because he is love. He is holy, holy, holy. Well, our salvation begins and ends with the Trinity. I intend to turn my clock back today if I don't get finished with this. All right, my beloved brothers, my beloved sisters. 
precious people of God, the scriptures once again are plain. Let us hear Paul's words in Ephesians 1.3. Most here know this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him. Let's go back and listen to those words. Don't let those go by without being at least awed a little bit. Blessed, you understand what's happening when Paul's saying that. He's worshiping and he's, he's blessing God and he wants the Ephesians to bless God with him for what he's saying. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according to According as he hath chosen us, God the Father hath chosen us believers in him, Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world. To what end? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. If you like predestination, if you like the doctrine of election, do you love holiness? Don't say you love that doctrine without being in hot pursuit of holiness. That's why God has saved you. He's going to make you holy. I need to be holy. Anybody else? Me and Gage. We the only ones? Brethren. Holy. Set apart from the things of this world having predestinated us, believers, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, that's our Father, according to the good pleasure of his will. It's what he wants to do. And he did it. And he's doing it. And he will do it until he saved the last one. And that's according to his will, to the praise. Uh Uh-oh. You hear that? To the praise of the glory of His grace. In other words, what did He predestine you for? Worship! To praise Him, to magnify Him for His astounding and amazing grace. To the praise of the glory of His grace. When when was the last time you said, Oh God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for showing me your grace. Why? I don't understand why you didn't leave me in my filth. I thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for coming to my dung heap and pulling me out. To praise him. I cannot remember who it was right now. I should have written it down. It was Rutherford or I believe it was one of the Puritans that said, Oh, May we wear our tongues down to the stump in his praise. Amen. Because he's worthy. He's made us accepted in the beloved. You and I are not acceptable. What? I'm not that wonderful? No. You're acceptable to God for one reason. I'm a Baptist? No. 
I'm a confessional Christian. No. I'm a fighting Calvinist. No. Because he intended to save me in Christ Jesus. And Jesus did absolutely everything infinitely necessary to save my soul. And he sent his spirit to kindle in my heart faith to believe that. After Paul goes through this wonderful litany, I wasn't going to preach all of these verses. I've been able to avoid a few of them. But it's the word of God. What do you want to hang your soul on for eternity? You want to hang it on what God has said. Period. Paul then speaks of Christ, in whom ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also... After that you were believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Paul just usually can't write very long without getting all of the Trinity into the story. Have you noticed that? Read looking for your God and you will be amazed at what you begin to see. It's not just a word on a page. It's a symbol for the glorious one who loved us from eternity. And will love us for eternity. Human love ends. Even if it's only a death. But God's love never ends. And the love that he kindles within our hearts will live for eternity as we worship and adore him. Well, let me run on. He said to the Romans... The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That usually means the Father. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, the Father, and joint heirs with Christ. You should go on reconnaissance when you're reading. Say, where's my God? Let me find him in here. You will. When you begin especially praying, Lord, I want to find you. I want to find you. I want to find you in this scripture. And then I want to praise you for who you are. Not just because you did something for me yesterday. We should do that, by the way. But because because of who he is. Well, I'm going to stop that portion right there because I want to get into the last part. I hear that laughter. Our Christian life, not only our salvation, but listen to me, this is true. I'm not here to hear myself. The Christian life is communion with the Trinity. What? Well, the entire Christian life is rooted in, continues in, and climaxes in the spiritual communion of man and his God, or men and women and his God, their God. One of John Owen's most popular books is called Communion with God. Communion with God. And difficult as 
own was to read. It sold so many copies because it was filled with such high truth. How do I know my God? How can I walk with him day by day? He said, well, I want to point you to that. I want to point you to that. That's great. It's one of his most popular books. Quote, this, he says, this is the substance of the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, many of us right at that point would turn right off. Uh, Theological lecture, right? Shouldn't. You should love theology. The Bible's full of it. It's the study of God. Now, this is the substance of the doctrine of the Trinity as to the first direct concernment of faith therein. What's our first concern as believers? The first intention of the Scripture in the revelation of God towards us is, as was said, that uh, that we might fear Him, believe, worship, obey Him, and live unto Him as God. That we may do this in a due manner, in other way, the way we're supposed to, and worship the only true God and not adore the false imaginations of our own mind. Every one of us needs to fear that in ourselves. We, we have that natural inclination to try to make God like me. False Imaginations of our own minds. We don't want that God. We don't want that God. We want the God of Scripture. We want that revelation that is difficult for us. Anyway, he goes on to say, it declares, as was said, that this God is one. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is one. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That the Father is the one God and therefore is to be believed in, worshipped, obeyed, lived unto, and in all things considered by us as the first cause, sovereign Lord, and last end of all. The beginning and the end of all things, what he's saying. That the Son is the one true God, and therefore is to be believed in, in worshipped, obeyed, lived unto, and in all things considered by us as the first cause, sovereign Lord, and end of all and so also of the holy ghost this is the whole of faith's concernment in the matter in other words the trinity is the heart and soul of everything to do with christians and the christian life everything he's god he's god is God. This is the whole of faith's concernment in this matter as it respects the direct revelation of God made by himself in the scripture and the first proper general and thereof. In other words, the Bible begins in the beginning, God. Is that not so? And he is the object of study now we can't put him under a microscope it's not that kind of study how do we learn about that god then oh you know what i am going to say 
It's his word. It is the revelation of our God. We can walk out and look at the stars and go, whoever created this is astonishing. His power, his genius. I'm overwhelmed by what I'm looking at. That's not even the beginning. You open up this book, you find out who did that. And then you find out why. He didn't just do this to show off. He did this to make a theater in which to save his people. Well, mm, much as I hate to run, I'm going to run because I'm going to finish today, God willing. First of all then, considering this, We have communion with the Father, we have communion with the Son, and we have communion with the Holy Spirit. And very often, most of us think just in terms of Jesus. Now, it's not ever wrong to think about Jesus, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The issue is, God the Father purposed our salvation. Christ the Son accomplished our salvation. The Holy Spirit applies the salvation and keeps us going until we get to the end of our salvation in glory. All right? The Trinity is who you worship, and out of which you have salvation. All right? And therefore, you can commune with each of the members, and it's there in Scripture. I urge you to get Owen's book. You can uh, spend a lifetime reading it. But Owen says, quote, Faith, love, obedience, etc., are peculiarly and distinctly yielded by the saints unto him, unto the Father. And he is peculiarly manifested in those ways as acting peculiarly or in a special way towards them, which should draw them forth and stir them up thereunto. He gives testimony unto and beareth witness of his son. In other words, isn't this something very often fathers are very, very proud of their son or their daughter and they want other people to know it. Here's my son. God, our heavenly father, did that. Go back down to the river Jordan where Jesus is standing in the water and he announced to the world, this is my son and I'm well pleased in him. This is my son. Now the question comes to us. Do we hear that testimony? Do we believe that testimony? Are we well pleased with Jesus Christ? Oh, he's worthy. He's worthy. And we can fellowship with the Father. You say, you know, I'm not sure what to say to God. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your son. Thank you that I'm breathing today and I'm not in hell where I should be. But in thy mercy, thou didst send thy gospel my way. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you sent to wake me up. Thank you. You can do that, right? And you can go into his book, and the more you see him in the book, you can say, wait, I'm seeing something about my God here. Lord, help me to take that in. Help me to live that way so that I can say like David, when I fail, oh, have mercy upon me, oh God. Oh, wait a minute, I've been told I've got an advocate in heaven. Thank you, oh Father, for giving you your son to me. You can fellowship with God. You can commune with God. Your Christian life is about communing with God. Well, this is the witness of God which he testified of his son in his bearing witness 
He is an object of belief, the Father. Well, I mean, see, if heaven opens and he says, this is my son, hear him. Well, we should be believing on the one who sent him, shouldn't, shouldn't we? That makes sense. Oh, brethren, how did Jesus teach us to pray? Could you go with me up on that mountain? He's sitting there with his disciples. <clears throat> he gives the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> and we hear from his lips, Our Father, which art in heaven. At another time in Luke, he's with his disciples. They ask him to pray. Teach us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. Isn't that how he told us to begin? Now, I'm not saying that every single time that we pray, that we must say, our Father, I'm not saying that. But when ye pray, he said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. Now, later on in his, in his life and in his ministry, he says, now, if you ask anything, if you pray in my name, so we're praying in the Lord Jesus. And as we go through the scriptures, we begin to see, wait a minute, it really is true. The whole Christian life in some way or another is plugged into, connected to, welded to the Trinity. There's no salvation. There's no communion. There is nothing really worth thinking about if we don't know God. I'm not saying that you sit in a dark room and just think about God all day. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that your life... Wherever you are, are you a wife, mother, husband, father? Are you a child still living at home? Are you a child on your own? It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. God should be the object of your worship. And your God is one God manifest as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One essence. One essence, three persons. The Father knew you before he created the world. Now, if you've been here for any amount of time, I say that regularly. And it's because I want you to think in those terms. God knew me before the foundation of the world. Before he said, let there be light, there was holy love fixed in my direction. And I didn't even exist yet. Same thing for every believer. God loved you with a perfect, flawless, unchanging, infinite, and eternal love. And so what did he do? Well, he knew you, he loved you, and he saw you in your sinful life, and he had pity on your never-dying soul. He purposed to send his son into the world to save you from the penalty, the power, the pleasure, and someday the very presence of sin. And it cost him the precious blood of his son to redeem you. Commune with the Father. He's available. You won't get a busy signal. No one say that lightly. How does he do that? How does he hear everybody's prayers? He's God. Well, communion with the Son, you know that. 
faith, hope, and love acting themselves in all manner of obedience and appointed worship are peculiarly due from the saints. We should exercise faith in Christ. We should have hope in Christ. Christians should never be hopeless because they always have Christ, whatever else is happening in this world. Faith, hope, love, and acting, acting themselves in all manner of uh-oh, obedience. Oh, there's that legalistic word. How does that keep getting in the Bible? An appointed worship. Appointed worship. The Lord does tell us how to worship. He doesn't just say, oh, anything you want to do, it's just fine. Oh, are you the little drummer? Gary, I think your drumming's great. No, that's not the way worship goes. We don't just say, well, I'll just do something. I hope God likes it. He tells us how to worship. That's why we believe in what is called the regulative principle, instituted worship, appointed worship. It is the nature out of God's moral law for us to desire to worship something. It is God's word that helps us to know what the object of our worship and the actions of our worship should be. Well, what's going on in heaven? Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, we should be thinking like that toward the Son. We can fellowship with the Son. My brothers and sisters, the eternal Son of God, second person of the Trinity, loved you before the foundation of the world. You said that about the Father. Yes. There are some things that are attributed to all three, and that's one of them. And we ought to be thankful because the second person of the Trinity loved us, agreed to unite his deity, which is infinite, with flesh, which is finite. Well, if you want a mystery to ponder, think about that a lot. That's how much he loved me. To unite himself with something finite. And he loved you and he he agreed to keep his father's law perfectly. You and I have not. So that we might have a righteousness that was perfect. His righteousness was and is perfect. He loved you and died in agony on Calvary's cross as your sin-bearing substitute. He loved you and rose again from the dead, manifesting to the universe that he had conquered sin, death, and hell forever. And not just as a show of what he's done, but he did it for his people. He did it for his people. Communion with the Holy Spirit is... You have distinct mention of the love of the Spirit in Romans 15, 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now, Owen says, of the things which have been delivered, this is the sum. There's no grace whereby your souls go forth unto God, no act of divine worship yielded unto him, no duty or obedience performed, but they are distinctly directed unto the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
Now by these and such like ways as these do we hold communion with God and therefore we have that communion distinctly. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He got in trouble for writing this book. Huge trouble. Because there were many anti-Trinitarians in his day. And man, they jumped on this book like crazy. But it ended up being one of his most popular because it's what the Christian life is. Communing with God. Knowing him. Praying. Reading his word. Meditating on what he's called us to. Two more things and I am done. There's communion with the Trinity collectively. We can talk to the Father. We can talk to the Son. We can talk to the Spirit. Or we can commune with all of them. They're never apart from each other. We find in one of Samuel Rutherford's letters to Lady Kenmure. She was a very, very dear, obvious woman friend that he wrote to. She was... She was suffering. And so Rutherford says, Madam, when ye are come to the other side of the water, that's dying. When you come to the other side of the daughter and have set down your uh, other side of the water and have set down your foot on the shore of glorious eternity and look back again to the waters and to your wearisome journey, and shall see in that clear glass of endless glory, nearer to the bottom of God's wisdom, ye shall then be forced to say, if God had done otherwise with me, than he hath done, meaning her suffering, I had never come to the enjoying of this crown of glory. It is your part now to believe, he says, and suffer and hope and wait on. For I protest in the presence, I protest in the presence of that all discerning eye who knoweth what I write and what I think, that I would not want the sweet experience of the consolations of God for all the bitterness of affliction. Wouldn't trade it. Wouldn't trade every bitter moment of this life because of the comfort I had in communing with God. Now, how do your urgencies and tragedies and calamities, how do they go? Do they drive you to the one that sent them? Or do we just curse him? messing with our plans that thing that's in your life and you want it gone and it won't go away do you think in terms of getting with God and saying alright I don't understand any of this but I know that you are God and I want to commune with you about this or do we just worry what do we do? Communion with God. This is exactly what Rutherford, Rutherford was a man who suffered in unbelievable ways. Listening to his wife for over a year, groaning and shrieking in her pain and trying to care for her, but could do nothing. And it became a sweet time of Christ. Mm. Do you know this God? Do you commune with this God? 
he goes on to say to her, listen carefully. He says, whether God come to his children with a rod or a crown, if he come himself with it, it is well. Welcome, welcome, Jesus. What way soever thou come, if we can get a sight of thee, and sure I am, it is better to be sick, providing Christ come to the bedside and draw the curtains and say, Courage, I am thy salvation. Then to enjoy health, being lusty. Here, that means energetic. And strong and never to be visited of God. Close quote. He said, worthy and dear lady in the strength of Christ, fight and overcome the father. Oh, and he says, ye ye are now yourself alone. But ye may have for the seeking three always in your company. The father, the son and Holy Spirit. I trust they are near you. Appreciative and beloved brothers and sisters. That's Christian life. It's not every moment of it. The Lord does give us wonderful joys. We're thankful for them. But I can tell you, brethren, you can turn many of those horrors into a time of saying, I know my God. I'm looking to my God. Help me. I am depressed. I'm on the edge of darkness here. Help me. He helps his people. He encourages them. Sometimes it's quiet and we have to be like that importunate widow. He's not listening. I know you're in there. That's what faith says. I'm knocking. You told me to knock. I'm asking. You told me to ask. I'm seeking. Lord, where are you? He may wait. He may test that faith. But the moment will come when he will bring joy and comfort to your soul. And he does. The problem is that we just generally don't go for it. Mm. So I'm closing. And I'm closing with a prayer. By the, all of that to say you can, you can fellowship with God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit individually. You can just enjoy them all. As you pray and commune. So I want us to close with a prayer from particular Baptist Thomas Hardcastle. Thank you for your patience today. was not going to have part seven. O God, who art a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in thy being, in thy wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, although we are not fit to come into thy glorious presence, being both unlike thee, dark and foolish, impotent and unclean, guilty and corrupt, thou art graciously pleased to command us to draw nigh unto thee and to seek thy face in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our advocate in whom thou art well pleased. For thine infinite mercies and for thy goodness' sake, be nigh unto us by thy Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, According to the multitude of the tender mercies, be merciful unto us and blot out all our iniquities. Amen.
Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy mercy. We thank thee for the revelation that thou art God and that there is none else. Now help us. Our little minds cannot take all this in. But thou art glorious and thy work and thy love to us in Christ Jesus are overwhelming. Oh, forgive us, Lord, when in our troubles and in our sorrows and in our other when it feels like everything is caving in under our feet. May we ever look up to thee to see our intercessor sitting at thy right hand and to know that thou dost hear our prayer when things don't move and don't change while we're struggling and hoping to see them be conquered. Oh, Lord, help us truly to know how to love thee and walk with thee. We must know thee, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts with thy truth. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please stand with me. We have a great God that loves us. It's not like the love of the world. May he make that more abundant to us day by day. Now the Lord, now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good will to every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Meditate on these things today, brethren. Enjoy your fellowship with one another and with our God. And may we honor him throughout this blessed day of worship. Let's go in his name.